0: Welcome to Neighbor of Spotlight. I'm Carol Malone, your host. Thank you for joining me today. Neighbor of Spotlight showcases citizens making positive contributions to their neighborhood in our city. My guest today is Mr. Vince Robinson. Before we begin, I would like to tell you something about my guest today. Mr. Robinson was born in Clearfield, Utah, raised in the U.S. and Southeast Asia. That sounds very interesting. I'm going to come back to ask you more about that. Okay. <laughs> he is a graduate of Kent State University, receiving his Bachelor of Arts degree cum laude. He has worked with numerous organizations and media outlets. His photographic work has been featured in numerous publications and galleries. His music and spoken word performance group, Vince Robinson and the Jazz Poets, have performed in venues all around Northeast Ohio. He is a multi-talented author, musician, poet, photographer, journalist, radio and television talk show host, producer, filmmaker resident of the historic Glenville neighborhood, and member of the Neighborhood Network. Did I leave anything out? There are a
1: few things, but <laughs> right? we can't squeeze it all <laughs> in. So.
0: That is quite a lot. All right, let's get to our first question. How did growing up in Utah, various parts of the U.S. and Southeast Asia, influence your art and cultural pursuits?
1: Well, I didn't really spend a whole lot of time in Utah. Okay. Uh, okay. We were there probably for two years. My mother has the exact dates because she has a memory like no other that I've ever been aware of. But <laughs> I was there briefly, uh, moved to Washington, D.C., uh, the Philippines, um, Savannah, Georgia, Dover, Delaware, Maslin, Ohio. Wow. Uh, Okinawa, Japan. Lived in Merced and Atwater, California. Moved back to Maslin. Graduated from high school. Ended up at Kent State University. I was there for five years and then uh, moved to Akron. Worked at WHLO Radio for 10 months. uh, Left that job or the job left me. (laughs) And I ended up in Cleveland in 1981 and I've been here ever since. Uh, In terms of how being in all those places affected me, for most importantly, it gave me a broader perspective of the world. I would think so. You know, I got to see people living in foreign countries. I got to see people and hear people and observe people in other parts of the United States. And, you know, as a result of those experiences, I don't see myself as a citizen of Cleveland, Ohio. I see myself as a as a citizen of the world. And what I share with the world through the uh, various aspects of art that I'm involved in— is my perspective through those lenses?
0: Yeah, I always say about myself. I consider myself a citizen of the world, and a lot of times I always say, if you know, if you if you're having a bad day, just remember that perhaps your worst day here in Cleveland is someone's best day. Mm-hmm. You know, because when you travel around the world, sometimes you take little things for granted. Like right. when I went to school overseas, you take for granted, you know, like cold cold pop. Mm-hmm. You know, or baseboard heating, mm-hmm. a bathroom. <laughs> right. You know. Yes. So on, on your worst day, it's someone's best
1: day. Yeah, and just to give it to some perspective, uh, I, I looked at an article or a video online about Hong Kong and uh, you know, the fact that um space is such a premium there. Yes. You know, so you have people who are living and their entire living space is is the size of my bedroom.
0: Yeah, and they've created... I, I was watching something, you know, like you. I watch a whole lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And they've got these tubes, tubes that they're right. selling to people that they can sleep in. It's an v- extremely small space, but space is at a premium and it's
1: very expensive. Right. So, you know, it just allows you to appreciate what you have so much more yes. when you realize what other folks don't have. and And the benefit of traveling is that... You get to see how folks are living. You know, I traveled to Ghana, West Africa last year, and I went the, the previous year, and I'm going back next year. And I was able to have the village experience. I mean, yes. not not to the extent that I was actually sleeping on the floor. I, I sat in the guest house of uh, the the uh, village chief, um, Nana Adulkwa. You know, so I wasn't in the, the 15 by 15 hut but I still got a taste of what that experience is like. And again, it helped me to appreciate so much more what I have, but it also allowed me to appreciate their experience. Exactly. Because they live the way they live, and they still experience the joys in human life that we experience, despite the fact that some of them may not have the things that we have. exactly. But they have the joy of life.
0: Exactly. And when you came back... You, your pictures were on display at Kent yes. State this past summer. Yes.
1: You know. Yeah, I was very blessed, um, you know, because of people that I know and people who appreciate the work that I do to have two exhibits in one year at a gallery at Kent State University. Uh, literally, my my photography world exploded in a matter of months. Wow. I had four photography exhibitions going on at one time.
0: That's fabulous. That's a big deal. Yes. Yeah, that's major. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, how did the photography? I, well, first, before I say this, is that one of the things that I really enjoy about interviewing people and having to do my homework and my research, it always leads me to interesting people that you all have encountered in mm-hmm. your lives. So, um, how did the. So, I want to thank you for leading me to this gentleman I'm getting ready to mention. So, how did the photography of Mr. E. Timothy Moore influence and inspire your style of photography?
1: I think it was really more so the fact that he exposed me to photography. I can't look back and think about how his work may have affected me, but it was just one of those things of being in a place of higher learning and being exposed. Yes. I took a class called Towards a Black Aesthetic, and part of the class was we had the darkroom experience, uh, I got a camera, a Pentax K1000 camera, very basic camera, has a simple metering system. You, it's completely manual focus, so you have to focus, you have to set the right aperture on the camera and take the picture. And then after you take the picture, and we were doing black and white photography, then I had to uh, print Photos that I had taken. So, you know, that opened me up to the process of photography, you know, and then I just stayed with it. So it was really more so his mentorship than his actual work that affected me. You know, on a different level, I had another mentor who opened my uh, world to poetry, and that was Muatabu Okanta.
0: Yes, I love
1: Muatabu Mo- yes. Okanta. Now, yeah, o- he
0: was at Cleveland State. She's really mm-hmm. missed him being there. Because, yes. you know, with Black Aspirations Week and all the right. stuff that he did and right. bringing in all the speakers yes. and Spike Lee, I remember mm-hmm. going to all that stuff.
1: That energy. Yes. I was more affected by his work in terms of my art than I was E. Timothy Moore. Uh, e. Timothy Moore went on to become a dean at Kent State University. Uh, Oconta left Kent as a grad student. I was actually in the very first class that he taught. And uh, that was um, the Black Writers Workshop. And he told me, brother, you are a poet. Yeah. And uh, wh- after he told that to me, I began to take it seriously, so much so that I was in another class in the Department of Pan-African Studies and was requested to write a paper on the black attitude of mind uh, by Ann Adams Graves, Dr. Ann Adams Graves. And I ended up writing a poem instead. (laughs) But the poem went on to get me an A. Oh, wow. And on top of that, it got me an opportunity to perform it in the Kent State University ballroom to open up for Dick Gregory. Wow. And after I did that poem, and I wish I could do it for you now, but I can't. It's it's uh it's a little bit graphic in, <laughs> in certain ways. Now, I could censor, it, but I won't. Yeah. Um, but what it did was it it really marked a transition in in my life. You know, that poem was it was my coming of age piece. And um, what was it
0: called? What was the title of it?
1: It was called "What's Happening." Okay. And it was really me reflecting on what I perceived as Cleveland mentality because so many students uh, at Kent State were from Cleveland, you know. So I, I, you know, I'd heard stories about how, you know, there were guns in school and, you know, and I I used to look at the yearbooks from John Hay and Kennedy High School and all the others. So I, I got a glimpse of what high school was like, you know. But um, I just had this perception of of brothers from Cleveland just being hard, you know. And because of my military experience and and living in different parts of the world, I never really got that close to the quote-unquote black community, you know. Atwater, California had a population of about 12,000 people.
0: And your dad was in the military, right? My my
1: father was in the Air Force, and we were there because, you know, he was stationed there, you know. As a matter of fact— I went to the same high school as Cheryl Underwood. Okay. Uh, I hate to tell him myself, but I was there a few years before she was. <laughs> That's uh,
0: okay. You look fabulous.
1: Yes. But, you know, I had never really been exposed to my people in, in mass because of the different places that I lived. Right. You know, I had the experience of being a black person. Right. You know, like when I was on the island of Okinawa, you know, uh, some young boy called me the N-word. Mm-hmm. And— uh, There were fisticuffs that occurred as a result. I'm sure. And uh, somebody's father showed up at at, uh, our doorstep, and uh, they came in and said, yes, uh, you know, your son struck my son. And my father said, well, he must have done something, and and it was told that, you know, he had called me the N-word, and so— my father said, "Well, then, you know, he got what was coming to him." <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so I did deal with race in, right. in, you know, in different ways and I became aware of it, but I was never really exposed. So, come to Kent State University, you know, I'm interacting with my brothers and sisters from Cleveland and I mean, you know, it was it was kind of a stereotype, but, you know, that poem was a coming-of-age poem because after I did that poem, I got respect on your heart. All right. (laughs) 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 And and you know how important that is in your college years. Yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) So listen, tell us about your work with Cuyahoga Arts. You know, you and I have had numerous conversations. So tell us about your work with Cuyahoga Arts and Culture around the issues of racial equity, diversity, and grant funding for artists of color, in particular African-American artists.
1: A couple of years ago, uh, I was invited to a meeting at Snickerfritz at Parker's Gallery, and you had Ed on yeah. your show. Um, but I was invited to a meeting at Snickerfritz, and the subject of conversation was the Creative Workforce Fellowship Program that had been created uh, by uh, Cuyahoga Arts and Culture. And the discussion about the program was the fact that um, very little of the money. That came for that program went to artists of color.
0: Now, let me just stop you right there if we could just kind of remind the audience where that money comes from.
1: Yes, the money comes from cigarette taxes that are collected in Cuyahoga county, and over a period of ten years, I, I wish I could remember the number, but it is in the several millions of dollars that you know money has come in, and they've awarded several. Thousand dollars to individual artists in Cuyahoga County. Now, the thing about funding individual artists is that it's it's extremely difficult because five hundred one c three nonprofit money uh, is 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 controlled by nonprofit institutions, um, and individual artists are are uh, not routinely on the receiving end of those funds, right. because the funds go directly to the 501c3s. What Cuyahoga Arts and Culture had to do was they had to pass the funds for individual artist grants out through another entity, and that entity was uh, the uh, Community Partnership for Arts and Culture, also known as CPAC. Over a period of 10 years, they were, were responsible for awarding 161 grants. It's a lot of grants. Of those 161 grants, we only got nine. And when I say we, I'm saying black artists in Cuyahoga County. We got nine out of 161 grants,
0: and that's yes, that's abysmal,
1: so to say the least. There was a CAC board meeting where this information became public, and there was a huge outcry. From both sides of the table. There were the artists who received the benefit of that funding who thought that it was right that it was done that way. And then there were those who said, well, you know, something is wrong with that picture and it has to change. So, as a result of those conversations, uh, there were further meetings. I I was in a meeting with um, Karen Gall Mills and Joseph Gibbons, who were the executive director and president of the board of CAC. Uh, and as a result of that meeting that we had at St. Luke's um, over on the east side, um, they decided to create something called the Support for Artists Planning Team. Okay. The planning team was comprised of several individuals, uh, some of whom were artists of color, uh, and they were charged with... Um, coming up with some recommendations to improve the funding opportunities for individual artists in Cuyahoga County. We worked as a committee for over a year and we drafted some recommendations to give to CAC, which were accepted and are currently being worked upon in terms of implementation. So I worked on that team for over a year and now I'm working with CAC as something called a network leader. Uh, We received 19 proposals from nonprofit organizations in Cuyahoga County that want to serve as uh, agents to uh, allow us to pass this grant money out. And those 19 proposals were whittled down to six proposals. So there are six entities that are going to be responsible for passing the money out. How it's going to look at this point, I can't really say. Okay, But what I will say is that... The way I see it, and and I'm speaking in in all honesty and candor, uh, there is some movement. There is some change towards increasing opportunities to artists of color. I can't say after not having seen the direct impact and results that it's going to have the intended outcome. My fear is that, and I really don't like to to live in a state or even think in a state of fear, but my my concern, I think is probably a better word, is that the effort that is being made is not going to remedy the situation to the extent that it could or should. And the reason that I say this, and I know that there will probably be some folks who take umbrage to this, but I think that it is very important to have some goals to have some objectives some to, some concrete objectives in terms of remediating a problem the problem is that African Americans in this county contributed 60 percent of the funds to this pot of money they contributed 60 percent of the funds
0: that's a very and, important for, very for piece important of information, information and have
1: gotten so much or so little, right, so little from from what we put in and if you're not talking about saying hey look we want to make this right we want to correct this situation and we want to give this much you know what we have been doing is we've been we've been obscured by legalities, we've been ins- obscured by law, and we've been afraid to show any kind of preference to any specific group. So, if you if you came out and said that we want to give at least fifty percent of this money to artists of color, it's going to be an issue. And what do you that, think, What do you think that is? Well, I think because we we deal with these these words these definitions that have different meanings to different people okay. like when you talk about socialism you're going to get people who take objection to socialism because they see it as in some ways people getting things that they aren't entitled to or don't deserve, they don't deserve. They didn't work for them, you know, so they don't deserve them. You know, you have this whole issue of entitlements. You know, you've had a history of racism and discrimination in this country since day one. True. And then in the sixties, you know, you had presidents like Kennedy, like, Uh, Johnson, like Nixon, who said, okay, well, we're going to do these things to improve the lives of black folks. So they came forth with the the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act, and they did things uh, to, uh, you know, give scholarships to folks, and they created this thing called affirmative action. And then, you know, affirmative action all of a sudden, becomes seen as reverse discrimination. Exactly, right, exactly, so you're discriminating right. against people right. by showing preference to someone for who people has, who have been been shut out, who have been shut out, who've been shut out <laughs> From and damaged the beginning. And you can't you can't see how wrong it is to not be intentional about giving someone something that they deserve. If you did the work, you deserve it. America was built. Upon the backs of black men and women who picked cotton, who built buildings, who did all kinds of things in this country and did not get paid for what they did. But in this in this day and age, we can't even talk about reparations, not 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 even to the point where we can have a discussion in the House of Representatives, in the Senate, about doing something that should have been done a long time ago. We never got our 40 acres.
0: We or that never, mule.
1: We never got the mule. <laughs> right. And then now we can't even have a conversation about, well, when are we going to get the 40 acres? You know, land is power. Yes. Land gives you an ability to create goods. It gives you ability an ability to do for yourself, if nothing more than to grow some corn, to grow some oats, to grow some apples or oranges or whatever. And as a people in this country, we're losing out because we don't have the things that we need to perpetuate ourselves. What we're living with in this city is one of the highest infant mortality rates in the entire United States. What we're living with is not only Babies dying, but we're living with mothers who are dying at a much higher rate than anyone else in this entire country. There are so many things that we uh, we lead categorically in terms of dysfunction. When you look at disease and here we we live in Cleveland, which is home of one of the greatest hospitals in the world because you have princes coming from Saudi Arabia to get their hearts worked on, but you have people who live within two or three miles of the periphery of Cleveland Clinic who are suffering to the extent that they are. Why is that?
0: It's very, very true. Yes. That's very true. Now, let me get back to, I want to ask you for, because, you know, we did interview um, Christian Farmer and her Birthing Beautiful Communities and Mm -hmm. the money that she's received to train doulas in the... A Huff Neighborhood, around the issue of infant mortality. But I do want to get back to uh, a question for those artists out there, particularly artists of color, mm-hmm. who may be wondering, okay, well, what do I do to apply for money? For uh, who, What should I do? How should I go about contacting uh, Cuyahoga Arts I'm, Culture? I'm,
1: I'm glad you asked that question, uh, because there are some things that are going on right now. Uh, for instance, they're creating a registry of artists in Cuyahoga County, it's not restricted to artists of color. It's open to everyone. But you know, the first 400 to register as an artist will receive a $25 gift card. It's you know yours to choose to do what whatever you want to so do. So this with. is going on right now. It's going on right now. Okay, so, so people
0: can contact Cuyahoga Arts and Culture. You can go to, to, to
1: CACGrants.org okay. and and you can register. Uh, if you get stuck, you can you can speak to uh, Roshi Amadian, or you can speak to Jake Sinatra. Uh, You can also contact me. Uh, If you contact me, you can hit me up on my Facebook page. You can call me at 216-780-2470, 216-780-2470, and I will send you a link to register for that particular um, uh, registry. Uh, In addition to that, and this is kind of a side note, but I uh, have been working with someone at Neighborhood Connections to. Create. Yeah, I was going to
0: just ask you to talk about what yeah. you just you hosted. What was it, about a week ago that you hosted the event that was on the West Side that you were one of the hosts. Anyway, I,
1: yeah, I was I was asked to participate in that. But this is this is kind of a, another side note. Okay, um, this is something that Neighborhood Connections made possible through some funds that they availed us to in our effort, and St. Luke's Foundation and and some other entities came together to help us create this, uh, this directory of black local artists. So we have 40 artists who have been identified and recognized and even more importantly, uh, can be shared with the entire world. You know, uh, we just went to print within the past week. We're doing the first hundred copies. Uh, we intend to get those things into, uh, galleries and libraries okay, and, 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 and other and, places. And what
0: you're, you've created this registry, and you're going to pass it. What is it that you're passing out? You said you.
1: you just, it's a directory. Directory. Gotcha. Yes, okay. Yeah, it is. It is a very well constructed um, publication. Okay. And it has fantastic pictures of artwork that has been created by Cuyahoga awesome. County residents. Okay. Um so um and, and there are some legendary people in there. Charles Pinckney is in okay. there, Edward Parker yeah. is in there, uh Jerome White, um, you know, Gwen Garth who spearheaded the project is profiled. I'm happy to say that I um am included in it. Um I actually did the editing of that particular document, you know. So uh it, it the first time I saw the prototype, it just gave me goose pimples. Well, because, I definitely
0: want to make sure I get a copy of that.
1: Yeah, because it's just so rewarding to know that we are surrounded by so many Wonderful talented, artists. talented
0: There's people. There's a lot of talented people in yes. Cleveland. There's and
1: it's tons not tons of talented people. Not limited to visual artists. Exactly. There are performance artists in there, there are authors in there. Uh, Everett Pruitt is one of them. Yes. Um Aaron Sneed, who was the graphic artist who did the layout for us. Uh, she's in there. Um, there are just so many, so many honorable people are in that publication. So yeah, that that's one of the things that's there. So um, with respect to the CAC work, um, we're going to be doing this through the end of the year. Uh, I think they are looking to to get out $400,000 to different groups in in one year, and another okay. four hundred thousand dollars. In the next year, you know, and I, I, and I've I've shared this with anyone who who has asked me about it, you know. In the previous iteration of the Cleve, of the uh, creative workforce fellowship program, the administrative costs were at about twenty five percent. I uh, am hopeful that we can hold down the administrative costs in this effort to get the money out so that the money goes to benefit artists and goes directly to artists and does not serve to... Fuel the 501c3s that are passing it out. I know, yeah. I know how difficult it is to operate in that realm. You know, I'm embarking upon the the nonprofit realm myself. You know, my intention as we sit here now is to create a nonprofit organization for what I am involved in right now, which is Larchmere Arts, soon to become Larchmere Cultural Arts. And then operate as a 501c3 so that we can get the benefit of, of grants and funding to support artists and educators in our community and also take the burden off the audiences because audiences, you know, in, in some ways are are very fickle mm-hmm. because, you know, and, and partly because there's grant money out there that enables people to to do free performances sure so um you know my experience has been and and this is no disrespect to to the audiences that have come because we have been very blessed to have had to have had all of those people come through that have come through but you've got five musicians on stage who are playing music yes you know and you hear that there's a 10 dollar cover charge and you turn around and you walk right back out yeah you know And that's it, quite reasonable. It's disheartening <laughs> that's a, because yeah, that's you know reasonable
0: because people are paying $150 and $175 to see Beyonce and Jay-Z listen, and all these other entertainers. Listen, you know,
1: we have ever paid that much money to see anyone. We had Hugh People at Larchmere Arts yesterday. Mm. They did two shows. They had two musicians, three vocalists, first show, three musicians, three vocalists, the second show. And people paid $20 to get in, you know. Yes. And they were so deserving of so much more, so much more. Because the level of talent that was in that room, you know, they could have paid $60, $70 for those tickets to be entertained the way yes. they were, you know. But we we always think about how little we can pay to be entertained or to be informed or to be edutained and not, how can we give, you know, we had the experience of doing an event at Larchmere Arts over the summer where it was the night of day of Porch Fest. Mm -hmm. And there's like 30 porches on Larchmere that, you know, have musicians performing on them and it was free. Yes. Okay. Now I scheduled our event to follow Porch Fest But we actually ended up performing during Porch Fest. So I had to say, okay, well, we can't charge money anymore, but we will accept donations. And there was an Asian woman who came in and she didn't mind paying $10 on the way in. And on the way out, she gave us another $50 and another $20. So she actually paid $80 to be entertained by us on that day. And that really said something to me. It said, number one, that there are people who appreciate what we do. The th- the problem is that we don't appreciate what we do, and we have to find ways to give. You know, there's always that whole thing about tithing. You know, you're you tied to the church because the thought is you give and you get back. Right. Well, it's the same. It's the same way in the artistic world,
0: which brings me to perfect question. So what brought about the idea of large mirror arts? Because clearly you have a lot to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I was just trying to make the right moment yes, to jump in right. there. So what brought about the idea of large mirror arts?
1: Okay. Um The short story is I was invited by a photographer colleague of mine named Randy Norfus. Sure, I know Randy. Okay. And Randy had this idea of doing a photography studio. He had done photography studios before, and he had other colleagues who were photographers who had joined him in that effort. And uh, in 2015, he approached me about being one of the photographers that worked with him in the space that he had access to. So uh, on that day, I came to Larchmere Arts, or what is now Larchmere Arts, and met with him and two or three other photographers. And after the conversation concluded and everybody had a chance to think about what was going to happen, I was the last man standing. Uh, But when I came into the space, I just looked at it and saw, one, how intimate it was, how there was a stage there and how there was just so much potential. We can do more than just take pictures in this space. I had worked at an insurance company for 27 years and I had recently, I I say retired, but I can't really say retired because retirement is not where I am in life. Retirement is, well, where I am in life right now is just I stopped working at that insurance company (laughs) and I decided to, to move forward with my life. Uh, and to do the things that brought me reward and, and Make fulfillment and yes. not just work a job to pay my bills. Right. You know, I stepped out on faith, you know, and I will say to you that the uh, the ancestors heard me, were with me, are with me. And so the work that I'm doing now, right now— yes. Is to honor those who came before me, yeah, and to use we, the gifts we stand that stand on a lot of shoulders. Yes, to use the gifts that I have been given uh, to advance that cause.
0: Yeah, because you know your your um I was telling you that your place reminds me back in the day of the Smiling Dog Saloon. So mm-hmm. for those of out there who remember the Smiling Dog Saloon on West Twenty Fifth Street, very small, very intimate, brought in a lot of musical heavy hitters, jazz heavy hitters. Yes, you know, so it's just really a a, a wonderful space that you have there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'd like to talk about uh, your book. Okay. So how did it feel to publish your first book of poetry entitled Got Words.
1: Yeah, it was was a long journey. You know, the the idea of doing a book started not long after I started writing poetry as a student at Kent State University. But what I did was I was just collecting poems. Okay. So I had binders full of poetry, (laughs) you know, uh, and, you know, this journey has gone from writing it on a piece of paper to typing it on a typewriter to typing it on a word processor to using computers to generate and using all these different fonts and so forth and so on. So I just had this collection of poems and always writing. And um, a friend of mine named Jackie Gillen, (laughs) she published Her Her book of poetry, poetry. right. I
0: I have her book of poetry.
1: Okay. And as a matter of fact, um, I played at the debut of her book at the East Cleveland Public Library. With a good friend of mine, Simi Davis, my group Vince Robinson and the Jazz Poets, so Derek James and Reggie Reggie W. Holmes played on that set with me with Jackie. So I saw that particular piece, and I'm like, okay, well, dang, if Jackie can do, do it, I, I can do it, do it too. So, <laughs> so I approached um, Deborah Wright, who who helped Jackie publish her book, and I said, can you help me with this? And she said, sure. So I gave her a stack of my poems and uh, in different fonts, and she gave it back to me as a manuscript. Wow. So I edited this manuscript. I gave it back to her. And after we went through this process over a period of maybe one or two years, the book was finally done. And how does it feel? You know, I don't have any children. So this book is— Part of my legacy. I won't say it's my entire legacy, but it is something that I have left that it represents my thoughts. Yes. You know, uh, it represents who I am. It represents those who have come before me, you know. So this is this is the fulfillment of a dream for me. And, you know, I'm I'm doing so many things. You know, I have ideas for other books that that I want to do. I want to do a book of photography. I've been taking pictures of musicians. Since 1970-something.
0: To get a lot of great
1: photos. You know, uh, and I'm seeing a lot of other photographers get recognized. Janet McCoskey is one of those photographers. You know, I was reading The Plane Dealer yesterday, and I saw a picture that she took at Cleveland Stadium. You know, Steven Tyler, Aerosmith, and, you know, all these folks, you know— I can remember shooting Michael Jackson at the Coliseum in Ridgefield in 1984. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> you know, I can remember shooting James Brown at the Front Row Theater. Oh, great. Those I, I, are
0: great photos. I
1: remember shooting Chuck Berry at Tower City. Wow. You know, I shot Aretha Franklin, you know, uh, at in, at the Palace Theater downtown Cleveland. I shot Wayne Shorter. I've I've shot... Ella Fitzgerald. I've shot Miles Davis. I've got all these photographs that I've been taking over a long period of time. But I not only have I shot the famous folks, I've shot the folks here in Cleveland.
0: Sure, local artists. You know, local, local artists.
1: Talent. You know, back in the eighties, I was shooting black and white shots of of groups like Spellbound. I don't know if you remember Spellbound. I do remember the name. But you know, you know, just local groups, you know, I in, in the studio, Larchmere Arts, I have a photograph of Cecil Rucker. He's never seen wow. it before. But I've got this photograph of, of Cecil Rucker. So Cecil Rucker is on the wall along with Ron Carter, along with Jay-Z and Beyoncé, along with Nancy Wilson and Marion Hayden and 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 uh, Wenton Marcellus and Marcus Miller and, and some of the other folks. That I've taken, so I want to do a book of photography. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, I would like to do a book about uh, living on a plant-based diet because it's something <laughs> that that's that I've been doing yes, for a Yes, for while. a long time. You've and,
0: been a vegetarian for yes, a long time,
1: and I I know yeah. how it could benefit people. So you know, the information that I share will will work to to benefit folks. And I'll share this while we're having this conversation. Uh, I was very blessed. To be invited to participate in a black and white show at uh, Cleveland Hopkins International Airport. Yes, I was going
0: to get to that. I wasn't going to leave that out. Yeah, because I I saw you know your pictures and your photographs. As a matter of fact, one of my classmates, Kim Tyler, Mm -hmm. snapped a picture. She was coming through the airport and posted it for you. And 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 so, what is it that you want people to feel from your photographs and from your words and your poetry?
1: Um, you know, I have been. A portrait artist for a long time. And one of the things that, that I want folks to get from it is just an appreciation for humanity. Yes. You know, uh, when people take pictures, a lot of times they take wide shots. You know, they'll take, you know, they, they they'll have way too much headroom, you know, so they'll put the subject in the very center of the frame, you know, my approach is to zoom in. I like to shoot tight because when you shoot faces tight, you get more of a feel sure. for that person. You know, so that 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 has been my process in in terms of the portraiture that I do. So the pictures of musicians that I take is is basically portraiture. You know, that that's kind of my specialty. Uh, and so. You know, I just like for people to connect with other human beings by being able to see that image, to see the wrinkles, to see the moles, you right. know, to see the quote unquote imperfection because it is the per- the imperfection that makes us all perfect beings, yes. you know. But in addition to that, um, an appreciation for nature, an appreciation for architecture, you know, I like to take pictures of buildings. I like to take pictures of landscapes, you know. On a perfect day, it would be me somewhere with my 500-millimeter lens shooting people who are a 1,000 feet away who don't even know that I'm there taking their picture. Taking their picture. And I'm capturing (laughs) that moment in life that's a real moment. You've seen me operate, you know how I like to take candid pictures, you know. We had the experience at the Shaker Heights, or or the Shaker Country Club, you know. Yeah, the
0: Hall of Fame dinner.
1: The Hall of Fame dinner, and and I'm following folks around the room and taking shots, and, you know, most of the time they don't know that I'm shooting them, and I'm getting them as they really are versus the, okay, smile for the camera, you know, and then that uncomfortable moment when somebody's holding up a cell phone camera, and it takes them 30, 40, 50 seconds, a whole minute. To push the button one time. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Yeah.
0: Well, what I do, I don't want to, I do want to mention your book again because your first poem in there is called Sleep
1: Undisturbed." Undisturbed. Yes.
0: And I'll just say this for the listeners and those who are viewing us that poem is timely. It is very, I wrote, it's excellent and it's timely. So if you get a chance, uh, pick up a copy of Vince Robinson's Got Words. But that first poem is very, very timely.
1: I will tell you how that that poem came about. Uh, I uh, was able to work from home when I was working at the insurance company, and uh, it was Martin Luther King Day. And I turned on CNN, and President Bush was in a Baptist church, on King Day. And it just, it affected me because it yeah. just, it just it, seemed. It
0: affected me just now when you said it.
1: it <laughs> so, yeah. So it, I can
0: imagine how oh, yeah, it affected you then. Because uh, that's, that's a very powerful poem.
1: Yes. It really o- is. On the eve of pending mass destruction and the elimination of the prospect of peace, he sits in a Baptist church. Amidst a sea of black faces, understated blasphemy, the backdrop to feign unity. On a day chosen to honor one of the world's most noted proponents of nonviolence, his presence is a blatant contradiction disguised as genuine reverence. I was talking about President George W. Bush.
0: Yeah, it's a a great poem. Um, Now, who and what are some of the artists and activities coming up at Larchmere Arts?
1: Um, we are actively seeking folks to um, to do programs. Uh, I'm looking at doing a youth art show at the end of the oh, month. Oh, that
0: would be awesome.
1: I'm also having conversations uh, with a local person named Sherry Herbin, who is going to assist me in bringing a Ghanaian artist to Larchmere. It will be Larchmere Cultural Arts by then. Okay. But to bring him here in the spring... To to do an exhibition of his work. Uh, I've been to Ghana a few times and and I want to connect with artists over there to get them exposed to this particular market. So those are some of the things that we we have uh coming forward. I mentioned that uh, Hugh People was in our space yesterday. Yeah, they're
0: great. They've I've been, been having conversations
1: time. with Stephen E. Boyd, and uh he wants to bring them back to Larchmere Arts. Uh, there are some other musicians. Uh, James Alexander is one of them who has expressed an interest in in being able to utilize Larchmere Arts. Jimmy
0: Alexander, the drummer? Yes. Oh, wow. I haven't seen yes. Jimmy in years. Right.
1: So, you know, yeah. he's expressed an, an interest in doing some things. And, you know, there are a lot of people, for whatever reason, like the space. You know, it, it is a cultural space. You know, when you walk in, it just it just has a certain vibe, you know. And I I do not— Please hear me clearly on this. I do not take credit for this. You know, as I see it, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. You right know, you. and and people have jumping you
0: know, in and carrying on the mission.
1: Yeah, they've given, they've said some very kind things to me, and I, I appreciate all the positive sentiment that people have expressed. But I just wanted to be a positively and, and abundantly clear that this is the work of the ancestors. I am doing what they would have me do to express for them.
0: Well, I think that answers actually my next question, which is why is it important to have a venue like this in the neighborhood?
1: It's it's very important to have it in the neighborhood because one, it gives folks who live in that neighborhood access to culture. True. You know, uh Culture is something that is extremely important in our world, and, and the plight that we have as black folk in America is that we are trying so hard to assimilate into a culture that does not want us to fully assimilate, does not want to completely receive us. Why is it in 2018 that we have to have our right to vote renewed? True. Why is this—
0: What is it? It's it's every 25 years or something like that? Whatever
1: the increment of time is— It makes no sense. the, The fact of the matter is we have a conditional citizenship. In this country. Absolutely. And we are so true. hell-bent on embracing someone else's culture that we neglect our own. And the only way that we can understand our culture is to immerse ourselves in it and to study it. That means that you must study history. Yes. You must know where you have come. Come from. from right. Because if you don't know, know where you've
0: been, you, you won't don't know, know where, where you're going. going.
1: So Sankofa, 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 Sankofa. And if you don't know what what Sankofa means, please Google it because it is essential well, for well, your survival.
0: Well, let's let's take the time to explain to the listeners and viewers what does Sankofa
1: mean. Sankofa principally means that you must look to the past. Uh, moving
0: forward, always looking back there to bring go. those forward
1: with you. There you go. That's that's what it means. And that means acknowledging those who have come. Before us, that means, you know, saying the name of your deceased grandparents out loud, saying the names of those who came before them out loud, because they are real people. They are people who have existed in your history. And when you stop speaking their names, they cease to exist. We can go all the way back to Imhotep. We can go. And if people don't know who Imhotep was. If you know who, if well, you don't, if you, you know, don't
0: know who, well, the the movie The Mummy has made him completely someone else. When you said that, I thought about the movies Mummy right. One and Two, and it's Imhotep. That that that's the, the but you know it's completely totally fictitious. Yes, but,
1: but the the right. point is, if you don't know who Imhotep was, right. but you know who Pythagoras was, you're missing the point. Yes. because had there not been Imhotep, there would not have been Pythagoras. OK, if you are a medical doctor and you don't know who m is, then you don't know nothing. And I will <laughs> put it that way. Not you don't know anything. You, you don't know nothing. OK, we need to know who M-Hotep was. When you understand those things, you get a greater sense of who you are and not only who you are, but who you are supposed to be. True. Because as human beings, we are multidimensional. You know, um, yeah, people people crack sometimes because I do so many things. You know, oh, you a poet? Okay, okay, but then when they see you as a poet, you don't get the job as a musician.
0: Sure, because people they, people like to pigeonhole you. They pigeonhole right, you, right, but to pigeonhole you, like, I, I can remember when I was growing up, mm-hmm. you know, and people would ask me, you know, because I've always had more than one thing that I was doing, and I can remember um, someone saying to me, "Well, oh, I can. Well, you know, once you've once you've kind of figured it out, you know, you you know you'll settle on one thing." I said, "Well." Uh, I, I have figured it out. I can just but I can do more than one thing. Mm-hmm. But then again I come from that old school like my mother and father taught me, you gotta have more than one iron in the fire. Right. You gotta be able to do more than one thing. Right. You know, because black people did not always have that luxury of going into one field and being able to make a lot of money to sustain themselves. You gotta be able to do more than one thing. Mm-hmm. Which go ahead.
1: Well, I was just gonna say Mhotep is the perfect example or, or illustration of that because he was an engineer he was a medical doctor, he was a priest, he was a writer, he did all those things. And that's why I say we're multidimensional beings, but we always get labeled and put into a box. Box, Okay, so I cannot define myself as a claims adjuster or a claims (laughs) re-inspector, even though I did that for 27 years, because the whole time I was that claim uh, re-inspector and the 10 years that I was an adjuster. I was also writing reflections a moment in music history for the Ohio Lottery broadcast on stations in Dayton, Youngstown, Cleveland, Columbus I remember that. and Toledo, you know, I was doing a television show at Channel 19, you know I was taking pictures. And actually, pictures. that was
0: reflecting on how you and I met. Right. We met, what, almost 40 years ago yes. when, when Mark Steffens was doing yep. his, his television yep. show and you and I were yep. co-hosts. I, do you remember the name of that show? Ah, uh,
1: what was the name? I, I just remember, remember Mark's company was B Positive Productions. Yes, yeah, so and
0: he was like, he was bent on getting this show done, you oh, know? Because yeah. basically, what we're talking about now is what we were talking about almost 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. In terms of having a show, having yes. a show for African-Americans to be able to talk about what it is that we're doing in our community.
1: Right. And we did. A, yeah. We did. I mean, I can remember very vividly the show that that we did at the Front Row Theater with In Vogue. Wow. Me and Mark Wow, backstage at the Front Row interviewing Maxine and... Harry.
0: I wonder if Mark still has any of that uh, oh, footage. Wow. I, you know, I don't
1: know if that was three-quarter-inch tape yeah. or what, but, yeah, I but I very vividly remember that. It was a great experience.
0: Well, listen, with all of your talents, and I think I'm going to have to add uh, preacher to that one. <laughs> okay? I think I'm going to have to add minister preacher to, the, to, to your long list of talents. But what's your next project?
1: Um... Well, the next major project is getting Larchmere Cultural Arts in place. Okay. That's the next major project. Um, but I have some other aspirations. I, I have recorded some music and I want to record some music. Uh, I would like for um, my song to be on 107.3. I hear you. You know. Uh, I and, hear you. And, and it goes where it goes. But I, I have, I have a few songs that I've written that I would like to get out there. Uh, I have a new photography exhibition in me. Uh, I I like the the black and white concept. Mm -hmm. I did an installation at St. Martin de Porres last year, which is 12 30-inch by 40-inch canvas wraps that they have hanging in the senior center there. So I gave them Ramsey Lewis, Aretha Franklin, Eddie Levert, Ah. Ahmad Jamal, Cecil McBee, Dave Brubeck, a uh, young woman who is in kamasi washington's band named uh Patrice Quinn, they have twelve of my works hanging that's wonderful, that, yes, and what I would like to do is i'd like to do a canvas exhibition that is this concept that i've that I've been working on that is the- the extreme close up okay. and what i've done is i've taken extreme close ups with my five hundred millimeter sigma lens of hands and mouths and other aspects of the performance. So I have this photograph of Regina Carter playing her violin. You don't see her face, but you see her hands on the instrument. I have a picture that is featured in the directory of uh, Terrence Blanchard, and it's it's an extreme close-up of his lips on the horn, the, the mouthpiece, you know, I have extreme close-ups of people like Randy Weston, who just uh, transitioned within the past year. Extreme close-up of his hands on the piano. You know, it's it's like a picture within a picture. Yes. Maybe that's what I'll call it, picture within a and picture. It's, and,
0: and as you describe it, it sounds and feels very emotional.
1: It's It's emotional, but it also illustrates the beauty of the human form. You know, you don't think about, you know, the hands and, and all that they go through in terms of the instrument. But I, you know, I think about it being a pianist myself and just thinking, how many notes have I played in a lifetime? Yeah. You know, I've been playing piano for uh, 55 years. It's a long time. You know, so over a period of that time, how many notes have I played? And if that's not enough, think of how many notes Herbie Hancock has played. played. Right? Herbie practices five, six, seven hours a day. You know, So the, the musicians who do it for a living, how much time do they put in it? So when you see that hand, you also see the collective experience that that hand has had in a lifetime of musical performances, but you don't necessarily think of that. I'm thinking about that as I'm thinking about this particular issue.
0: That that sounds wonderful. Now, how can people contact you regarding your many services to be booked as a talent for Larchmere Arts, volunteer, or donate?
1: Um... Just call me. <laughs> I mean, you know. Well, let's let's give that information again yes, then. Yes, How if can the, people reach you? The give telephone number is 216-780-2470, 216-780-2470. You can also reach me on Facebook. I'm Vince Robinson. Uh, there are at least 18 of us on Facebook, <laughs> but if you put Vince Robinson in Kent State University or Kent State, you will get me. I'm also on Instagram as Vince.robinson at Instagram. So those are three ways to contact me. Uh, my email address is T H A, Thomas Harold Anthony. T H A underscore soul poet at yahoo.com. I, I'm gonna have to get something else because <laughs> folks struggle with T H A underscore soul poet. <laughs> but it's T H A underscore soul poet S O U L P O E T at Yahoo.com. Those are the most effective ways to reach me.
0: Well now we're gonna take a few moments, because you're going to share your music and your poetry with us. Okay. Okay, so we're going to take a few moments to get set up here. Okay. Well, would, you, where would you start with your poetry first? Yeah, I'll start
1: with the okay. poem, because that's okay. the, the simplest way to do. Okay. And I had a conversation with my mama this morning, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I told her I was going to do this, so I'm I'm doing this um, to honor my father, Robert J. Robinson, Robert Jonathan Robinson, Sr.,
0: that's lovely. Uh,
1: yes, to honor him, and I'd also like to honor a friend of mine named Margie Shahid. Uh, Margie transitioned over the weekend.
0: Oh, my condolences. She was
1: she she is a gifted writer, editor, poet, um, and she honored me by giving me some words for the back of my cover. So, uh, Margie Shahid, uh, this poem is for you. Uh, And it's from my father, Robert J. Robinson. It's called Red Clay. I am fire and Martian clay, ancient, present, and future. I am 10% what you see and the 90 you don't. I am the science that built pyramids on six continents the math that floats boats and flies planes, the mental metaphysical medical expertise to fix brains without stitches. I am the boxer who beats opponents down without clinches. I am Jim Brown, Paul Robeson, Marcus Garvey, Jackie Robinson, Robert Robinson Sr., Akhnaten, all rolled into one. I am the story of a people hidden from view, known only by a few, written in architecture all over the planet. I am philosophy, history, pedagogy, and language pioneered and planted. I am carbon melanin, original, divinely inspired by love. I am justice, patiently awaiting disposition. I am truth, Blazing through the veil of the esoteric, dominant genes wreaking havoc on recessive sphere of Nubian enlightenment. I am the wisdom of the ancestors, summed up in a single syllable, Om. I am the sky, the moon, and the sun. I am, therefore, you are. I am, therefore, you are, and we are one. I love that. Called Forward. I wrote it to commemorate the transition of my father and my transition from 27 years of employment. The next song that I'd like to do is a song that I wrote called Free Your Mind. It does have a lyric, and I will share those with you right now. And it goes like this. Free your mind from the shackles of time and the baggage of old. Let your positive soul begin to take control. Leave the past and the pain in your tracks. A challenge met, a lesson learned, a new mindset, a corner turned. Free your mind from the paradigm of time. As we go through life and space, find your purpose to fulfill. Give your all and you'll reveal a well-lived life in the midst of strife, peace, and joy deep within. Free from guilt, shame, and sin. Splendid divinity living in the center of the space you have within, in the freedom of your mind. I would
0: like to thank my guest, Mr. Vince Robinson, for visiting with us today. I have had a great time talking with you. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I would like to leave our audience with a quote from my guest today. Art is important, and I am an artist, and I see the benefit to the community. It is about creating a friendly environment for artists and people who are working to become artists. I want to thank our audience for supporting us today. We really do appreciate you. Please join us next time as we continue our conversation with Cleveland residents who are making positive contributions to their neighborhoods in our city. And visit Neighborhood Connections website to see all the community engagement activities. Come network and collaborate with residents who are doing big things in their neighborhoods. If you have a great idea and want to do something positive for your neighborhood, contact Neighborhood Connections at 216 Three six one zero zero four two, and send us or send us an email at www.neighborhoodgrants.org, and like us on Facebook. Get informed. Get involved. Get connected. I'm Carol Malone, your host. Thank you for joining me today on Neighbor Up Spotlight. Neighbor Up Spotlight is sponsored by Neighborhood Connections and the Cleveland Foundation in association with Bad Racket Record Recording Studios. Executive producer, creator, writer, host Carol Malone co-producer Lila Mills engineer co-producer Henry Rapp neighbor up Cleveland